Welcome to Athletes on Balance, where we talk to athletes, coaches, and experts about mental health and sports. This is a stigma-free zone for inner thoughts and outer conversations. We're helping athletes and anyone with mental health challenges perform at their best on and off the field. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Athletes on Balance. I'm your host, Walt Norley, the founder and CEO of On Balance Health. Today, I'm joined by Julie Klegman, the copy chief at Sports Illustrated, a position she's held since 2020. During her tenure at SI, she's published numerous articles focused on mental health and sports. Julie recently wrote a book titled Mind Game, an inside look at the mental health playbook of elite athletes, uh, which is set to be released in March of 2024. Is that correct, Julie? Next March? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was kind enough to share the copy of the manuscript with me, which I read on my plane ride uh, last night, Julie, just so you know. And from what I've read so far, it's it's excellent. I, I can relate to it. I highly recommend pre-ordering yourself a copy uh, of this book before it comes out in March. Um, I think it's a great resource for athletes, coaches, administrators, care provider, anybody in that ecosystem. Uh, prior to her work at SI, Julie was a copy editor at The Ringer, a publication folks, uh, focused on sports and pop culture. Uh, she also held uh, roles at The Week, BuzzFeed, Tampa Bay Times, and Plicofact. Um, some of her other work has appeared in The Washington Post, uh, Vulture, um, The Verge, I think, and uh, Washington Monthly. Uh, Julie's a graduate of Northwestern um, and lives in New York. Uh, if you'd like to learn more uh, about her work, you can visit her website, julieklegman.com. Uh, she also has a newsletter, Mental, Mental Notes, where she writes about mental health and sports and provides updates on the upcoming publication of her book. I've mentioned this many times before. Um, uh, mental health is very important to me. I have managed a bipolar disorder for more than four decades in my business life and perhaps back in my playing days as a quarterback at Ohio State and Georgia. It's a personal mission um, of mine to improve the quality of care for athletes um, and eliminate uh, all the stigmas that are associated with mental health. It's long overdue. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, yep, I'm, this is exciting. Um, over the last few years, you have been one of the leading voices in in the sports media world who covers mental health, uh, and you've inspired the decision to make um, mental health uh, a focus within your work. Um, in the introduction of the book, you mentioned struggling with depression yourself uh, and being diagnosed with bipolar uh, two and which I can relate to. Your, your book is great and has great insights uh, throughout. What, what was the main reason uh, that you wrote this book? Yeah, I, I think I just wanted to see it in the world because it's something that athletes are talking about more and more. And I, it's been so you know nice to hear that, not that they're struggling, but that they finally feel comfortable opening up about their struggles. And, you know, I think it's important for someone to chronicle that. You've probably done hundreds of interviews, um, including for your book. Um, yes. Uh, l- looking at these interviews um, from from a high view, from a macro view, um, have you noticed any 
themes or trends that have been happening for mental health within the sports world? I think overall things are trending upward. Athletes are more likely to say that they have support from their coaches, their teammates, people in their personal lives, uh, from mental health professionals assigned to teams. And increasingly, as you know, I'm sure there are mental health professionals assigned to teams, whereas before there really weren't. in most sports. And so that's, that's one trend I see. The other trend is that, um, yeah, they're just more comfortable stepping forward. And I think it goes back to the other reason that they have these support systems in their lives that enable them to feel comfortable doing so. So to your point, there seems to be athletes from a variety of sports coming out. It almost seems per week right on, you know, a a challenge that somebody had, they had to stop competition because of it. You know, they're, they're taking a a mental health break. Um, you kind of just touched on, I mean, why, why has, why are athletes, um, more willing to share today than they were, I don't know, five years ago. It's not that long ago, right? I mean, it's not like it's 20 years ago. It's really the last five years. I mean, what's allowed that? I think some big names coming forward has certainly helped. I mean, I think Michael Phelps in particular, uh, one of the greatest athletes of all time, I think. And once someone like him with his accolades comes forward, I think that enables other people to feel that security in coming forward, say, okay, if we can accept Michael, you know, we can accept others as well. And you know, uh, yeah, and it also does go back to what I said earlier about um, just feeling more secure, you know, in your environment with the people around you being supportive. Um, Also, I think there are increasingly a number of ways to come forward. It used to just have to be in a press conference, right? And now we have uh, social media, we have, um, you know, outlets like the Players Tribune, we have all these different ways that athletes can choose to come forward uh, in the way that they're comfortable with. Well, uh, to, to that point, yeah, there's different um, media outlets. But the media, um, you're, you're in, well, you're in, in, in several sectors of the media, at least by my classification. But you have a mainstream media outlet, obviously, within Sports Illustrated. You know, in other words, it's a broad, broad, you know, leadership for, for decades. Um, why is the, the media has also embraced this, right? The, the media is not judgmental about this as well. Where, where does that come from, from maybe 10 years ago, where the media might have, have had criticism to somebody talking about this? Yeah, I think it's a great observation. Um, it's been really transformed in such a short period of time. And I think part of that, if I had to guess, would be people in the media's own lives, whether they themselves have been struggling or they know other people who have been. I think the pandemic probably accelerated things a bit because so many people struggled with mental health issues during the pandemic, even people who never had before. And I think it just cultivates that sense of empathy in the media. So it's relatable. You know, people can relate to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, people in the media uh, and families and friends and colleagues, I mean, um, you know, it's it's going to work and it's struggling with the stress and, you know, the isolation and the unknowns and so forth. So why would an athlete be any different? Right. Um, so, right. 
You know, let's talk a little bit about the future because you do touch upon this uh, as well in your book. And and I, I, you know, I'm in the technology business, so I love this actually. So I've read about uh, Aaron Rodgers' experience with uh, ayahuasca. Is that, did I pronounce that right by that? Is that ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. Yeah. So I'm familiar with it in Peru and the root and positive outcomes that it had for him. Um, Last August, you published a uh, piece about psychedelics used by uh, some athletes. It was titled, What Do Athletes Get from Ayahuasca, Mushrooms, and Ecstasy? Is that that correct? Is that the name? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was an interesting article. um, And and based on your research and some of the stuff you did interview-wise, do you think psychedelics in a controlled environment um, are a legitimate treatment for athletes that are suffering or being challenged by, you know, a level of mental health? I think they certainly could be. I don't think we know enough quite yet for me to be able to say with 100% confidence that they are. But as, you know, research moves along for different psychedelics and different um, situations, um, I, you know, I think we've seen some promising results. I don't think psychedelics are going to be for everybody. For you and I, for example, although we're not athletes at the moment, um, at least professionally, um, with bipolar disorder, I don't think that's ever going to be an effective treatment there in all likelihood. I've, but read, that. For, I've read that. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but for uh, people with uh, depression, uh, you know, it might be a really good solution. Um, uh, you know, assuming that there's a therapy component involved, that the therapy is somewhat regulated itself. Uh, you know, it, we've seen exciting results so far. John Hopkins has been a leader doing research in it, and I think Columbia as well uh, has been a, a, a leading. They're doing a lot of clinical trials. But do you think sports? I mean, really, it's an alternative um, from the pharmaceutical world um, to treat this, right? I mean, that's what this this is. Um, they're trying to make this an evolution of treatment for depression, substance abuse. Um, where do you, do you think do you think that the athletic world, whether it's collegiate or professional, will be an early adopter uh, of a new methodology, or would they be, you know, post general public? I'm not sure if they'd be an early adopter, just because athletes are so necessarily careful about what they put in their bodies Um, and also because of different leagues regulations around substances. Um, So I don't think they're necessarily an early adopter, but I think they'll come along, Um, especially because there are a lot of athletes who might be resistant to traditional psychiatric medication because of the stigma associated with it. But psychedelics, I think, just appeals to a different group of people. So I think athletes will be interested. Well, then you have the side effects that come with certain, you know, depressant treatments, et cetera. Um, Right. Well, just again, to stay on, you know, the the alternative uh, treatment methodology, what what have you heard and what perspective do you have on cannabis for athletes? Yeah, um, I think it's something that has become obviously less stigmatized. Again, very, very quickly, a lot of changes in general in the mental health space for athletes have happened so quickly. We saw when Shikari Richardson um, was disqualified and she revealed that, you know, she had taken cannabis. Um, We saw her not universally embraced, but certainly embraced by a large section of the public and even the media. 
Um, so I think experts would still caution that cannabis isn't necessarily like effective for performance, but um, or for mental health purposes in general, but it's certainly become uh, less of like a problem for, you know, people who do seek out cannabis. I think I've read that there are, I, I don't know if it's the NFL, maybe, uh, don't quote me on this, but they're, one, one of the professional leagues um, are not testing as randomly as they did or as frequently as they did for, you know, for cannabis, you know, within the bloodstream. Uh, staying with yeah. the fu- staying with the future, um, you know, I'm in the technology business. Um, a- AI is uh, being integrated to just about every facet of our society and our life. Um, how do you think AI can affect or benefit athletes when it comes to improved mental health care? Yeah, well, this is something that honestly you probably know more about than I do, but I will say that like tracking patterns and stuff in behavior uh, could be huge for, you know, helping monitor athletes and helping them out. Um, As long as the machine learning aspect doesn't overtake like the human side of that direct interaction, that direct connection between professionals and athletes, I think AI could be really helpful in helping us detect patterns in behavior well and i think you hit it on the the nail on the head that that you know the metrics as you know exist in every form of athletics for physical performance athletic performance right uh speed strength thrust vertical um you know hamstring strength you know hand-eye coordination i mean they, they, we deal with it within our business you know with with integration of um those performance characteristics you know data it's data Right. And, and the data has trends that go with it. Right. You, you get a, you know, you get a baseline and from the baseline, you, you look at somebody's hamstring strength, either increase uh, or decrease. Right. So, right. you know, bring an AI into, you know, it's, it's a different world, as you know, Julie, because, um, you know, the brain uh, is not monitored like an MRI or an X-ray or, you know, blood work. Right. It's um, right. there's a subjectiveness that comes with mental health um, diagnosis that, you know, really doesn't exist on the physical side. But to your point, using AI with facial expressions and some of the amazing things that are happening right now, um, can, can it lead to looking at trends and, and therefore maybe predictors? And then purely athletically, can you take that and create, you know, a, a, an intersection between the behavioral mental elements as well as the physical and the athletic. I mean, I, have you run across this within your world that people are, are, are looking into this or, um, you know, any professional sports or collegiate sports organizations? I've certainly seen some papers on it in the academia world. Um, I have not really yet had any conversations about AI with uh, different teams or leagues, but I'm sure they're looking into it. I mean, and we've seen people looking into AI in basically every industry. Right, right. Well, let's talk about, and you you write about it, uh, and I actually really enjoyed this part of what I've read, um, how people talk about mental health in sports, right? When a, an athlete loses, you know, uh, a game, a competition, obviously it's difficult, um, but you, you have – you have other things that have been just uh, talk about a pylon, you know, there's criticism that it's always been there from the mainstream media, but now you have that plus fan bases that are exposed to social media. Um, it, it seems like society kind of forgets, um, you know, athletes are, you know, human beings as well. 
right? And the criticism has a, a negative effect. What, what's your perspective on that and how that's kind of snowballed? I think we're so conditioned to see athletes as superheroes. Um, and I think, yeah, at the end of the day, they're just people, right? And But when we put them on this pedestal, um, not only for their athletic achievements, but for their mental toughness or their resiliency, um, I think it creates this issue where athletes do feel like they don't have the space to say they're struggling. But when we are able to grant them that humanity um, and realize that they're just like us, they're just like you, me, our family members, our friends, um, you know, I think that's game changing. To the media's credit, I mean, they're, whether it's a, um, an ESPN story or, you know, whatever other outlet, I mean, there's a, there's a lot more storytelling about that than there was in yesteryear. I mean, you're doing, you're doing quite a bit about that. I mean, uh, last summer, um, you focused on the phrase, the difference between mental toughness, well, the, the, actually mental toughness and, and how it's been used by the media. Uh, and, you know, the difference between that phrase back in my day, which was, you know, you know, get back in the you know what huddle and or you got your bell rang and somebody come out and say, you know, with three fingers and you, you say four and they say close enough, get back in. Right. So. What, right. what is your interpretation of that phrase and can it be rephrased? Yeah, so mental toughness is actually something that researchers disagree about the definition of all the time. So it's hard to blame the public or coaches or athletes for not having one consistent way of thinking about it. But one of the experts I've talked to has described it as a mental toughness as a resource that gives you the skills to fight adversity from point A to point B. Um, and that's in like a, you know, a big picture sense of like, say it's your goal to get to the Olympics. Do you have the mental toughness to get there? You know, obviously in addition to the physical prowess. Right. Um, and um, so I think that there's not necessarily an issue with the definition itself. It's more just that the media and coaches don't always understand that definition, right? Um, and so in misusing it, you know, you could compliment athletes, like, as you said, for, you know, playing through a concussion or something like that, when that's not the actual intended meaning of mental toughness. It's where the line is, right? So where, where is that line? Because I, you know, personally, I think that mental, mental strength, I'll use the word mental strength, right? I think part of mental health for whatever line of work you're in or, you know, what you're trying to achieve, certainly in athletics, I think mental strength is important, right? I mean, the ability to work through, you know, having a tough day and, and you know, not feeling like you want to go uh, at 100 miles an hour. I mean, the, the capacity to do that. But the, the line, just like uh, I used this before, I mean, the, the, you know, if you've got a knee that's banged up, um, but not to the point where you, 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 you know, you can't play and you can't perform, but it, but it hurts, right? You've got some discomfort down there. You, you know, athletes are taught to play through that, right? But the difference is when there's something torn and it's swollen up and, you know, there's kind of no way you can compete. Well, what do you do? You go get treatment, right? So go to the, the mental side of it, that line between pushing through and you've got a real issue, you know, you've, you've really, you really have depression going on. You really have, 
uh, a, another level of anxiety going on, right? So how, how do you how do you delineate that from an immediate standpoint? Because you just made the point. It really comes down to the coaches and the people that are around that athlete. Um, you know, because right. we've all seen articles uh, where, you know, somebody's really being called out for not being on the field and somebody else had a similar uh, situation and they're on the field. You know, why is one right. athlete, on, you know, in competition and one athlete with a similar symptom not on, you know, in competition? Yeah, I think it's really tricky. And I think it comes down to everyone has their own personal boundaries, both physically and mentally. Um, you know, you, you, obviously, you could see people play through a knee injury that other people wouldn't be able to. And I think that's just fine. Everyone has a different pain tolerance, for right. example. Right. And I think the same is true mentally. I mean, I've talked to athletes who playing exacerbates their anxiety, for example. I've also talked to athletes where playing um, minimizes their anxiety, and that's where they feel most at home is on the court or the field. Um, so it's it's really different, but I think there is a point for everyone where mental illness becomes debilitating. It's not the same point for everybody, but it exists. Like if you're having trouble functioning, I, I talked to an athlete last year, Tyrell Terry, uh, an NBA player who walked away at a really young age from the game. And, you know, he was saying that he was uh, having so much anxiety that he was throwing up before every time he had to go to the court. And that I think uh, we can probably all agree that that's not a functional level. That's not a livable, sustainable symptom to play through. No, it's not. But I mean, and, and again, unfortunately, it's it's. But it's it's t to some extent, it's it's the evolution of training and nutrition that happened from twenty ten years ago, thirty years ago, et cetera. You know, more knowledge, more science. Um, you know, more openness about this. You know, changes what you what you would do physically. So if that's the case physically, why wouldn't that be the case from a from a mental perspective in terms of uh, playing and playing through type things. You know, I've touched on your book several times, um, and I'd like to circle back for a second. Uh, in the introduction of your book, you explain, um, uh, which I was going to say, how mental health, quote unquote, is often used versus, you know, mental illness. Um, right. Can you take us through um, your explanation and what you've learned uh, on the difference of those two uh, terms? Yeah. Um, so, Everyone has mental health. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has heard that phrase before. Everyone has mental health. Right. Uh, and I think that's that can be really useful to remember that um, it's not only people who are struggling where who need to take care of their mental health and who need to keep an eye on that. Um, but sometimes mental health is used as like a euphemism for mental illness. And I find that a little bit troubling because I, you know, as a journalist, as someone who works with words all the time, I am in support of calling mental illness or anything what it is. Um, and that's the first step to addressing it, right, is, you know, identifying the problem you're dealing with. Um, and so I think just saying mental health kind of sanitizes the issue, if that makes sense. Um, and so they are two different terms uh, distinctly. And, uh, you know, I also talk about mental performance and sports psychology. And uh, that's, those are also things that everyone can benefit from and taking care of their, their brain um, and their mindset. 
Um, but they're not all interchangeable terms. Well, I, I tell you, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you have, um, you have, you have clinical knowledge, right? Which allows you from a media perspective to delineate, you know, the, the term, which is very general mental health, right? That's a very, that's become, but I hate to say, but it's almost become a pop term, right? You know, yeah. generationally, it's almost a, a, everything's mental health. You know, I'm ha- having, you know, I need to take care of my mental health and I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I, I believe in it, but you know, there's, that's a big umbrella, right? It's mm-hmm, a very big umbrella. Mm-hmm. When you go into mental illness, as you know, it's, it's, then you're talking about clinical. What's the difference between right. an episodal situation where, you know, you have a loss of a loved one, you, you lose an athletics, you lose the starting job, you know, you get injured or you have a surgery and you don't feel like you're part of the team. And, you know, to me, well, not to me, to the, this, you know, psychiatric community, psychology community, that, that's a, that's an episodal environmental situation that then that can be treated, right. And, and can have a, a resolvement uh, outcome as opposed to your point with mental illness, you know, a bipolar disorder, clinical depression, clinical anxiety, you know, suicidal ideations that, you know, substance abuse, eating disorders, et cetera. Right. And there are disorders that, um, don't have a resolution, but right. they can be managed and they can be treated, right? So, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, your work out there delineating that, um, I think is great so that people do understand the difference between that big umbrella world and what can be environmental compared to what's really a, a clinical defined diagnosis. So, um, you have, you, you just have all this knowledge. I mean, I, you do you feel like you're a, a a little bit of a unicorn within the media world <laughs> writing about this intersection between you know elite athletes and and their mental well-being I think there are a lot of people doing good work in this space but probably what's unique is like the degree to which I'm obsessed with thinking about it and writing about it um yeah, it's it's hard. I think in the media nowadays, uh, we all have to be generalists in some sense. Um, and I write about other issues too, but this is one that I just keep coming back to and coming back to. And part of that is uh, my position is to be an editor and not a writer. So when I do write, I can kind of pick and choose my spots as opposed to having to cover a day-to-day story about, say, the Chicago Bulls, right? Right. Um, I I can just kind of swoop in and say, oh, there's an athlete who's struggling. I wonder if they have a story that they've been dying to tell. Well, you've done a a remarkable job in that regard. Um, It's what you you just described kind of as, you know, the difference between a play-by-play and and somebody on the color side of a a broadcast. Um, Right. So you've had a strong pursuit to create awareness. Um, and I believe similar to what I, you know, my philosophy and why we're doing this is, you know, the pursuit of destigmatizing this right through education facts, as opposed to perceptions. Right. Right. Um, how do we keep that train moving? You know, how do we, how do we keep that dialogue, you know, front and center? Yeah, I think it's as simple as, well, you know, nothing simple, but I, I think it's about um, the media continuing to find these stories and telling them in empathetic ways, in ways that talk not only about the struggle athletes face, but also the solutions in front of them and what it looks like to manage these conditions and, you know, live 
fulfilling lives. Um, so I think that's one component where the media can step in. I think the public really just needs to keep listening and really hearing what athletes are saying and not criticizing or questioning them when they say they're struggling with mental illness. Something I address uh, later on in the book is that, um, you know, there's some athletes who we just accept they're having mental health struggles. And there are others who, for some reason, we think they might be lying or, you know, doing it to get more money or, you know, and I think part of the public coming along is just accepting that, like, you don't get to pick and choose which stories you believe. Um, if you believe one athlete, why aren't you believing the next? No, and I and I, I saw you touch on that. Um, I did. I, I read that piece. Um, um, I think it was with um, the tennis player, and it was with Simone Biles a little bit, um, and the, mm -hmm. the treatment they got uh, compared to some other athletes, you know, uh, that, you know, had issues and, you know, really a biasness. Um uh, you know, obviously this Athletes on Balance podcast is, you know, awareness, uh, trying to eliminate the, the stigma, bringing in progressive coaches, mental health experts, athletes, you know, people that have a strong platform like yourself. Um, I have a perspective, but I'd like to hear yours. What, how do you think this resonates with people that aren't athletes? Um, in terms of the mental health stories yeah i mean in terms of do you think it has a, an impact on their perspective for their for their world as opposed to just the athletes i would like to think so i would like to think you know there are qualities in these stories that everyone can relate to um but if anything it's like sometimes people are like oh well why should i care about an athlete struggling they have all this money they have all this fame they have all this talent right. um but I do think that people, you know, in their better moments can kind of like look at these athletes and take away, uh, well, here's someone I look up to struggling. Maybe that impacts the struggle in my own life in a, in a positive way. So, you know, I, I, I didn't write the book or I don't write these stories just for athletes or for people who are sports fans even. I, you know, I write them for everybody. Let me ask you a question that I ask all uh, my previous guests, and it's one of my favorites. Is you know you 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 have a great body of work, and um, you you you've made an impact. I mean, you're not not that just writing about a sport and how they played isn't uh, important, or how they competed is important, but you've taken it to another level, and um, I think you're you're really pioneering that. So within that journey, who has been the person most influential to you in your life? Oh, man. Um, see, I don't even know if it's like other media members so much as, um, you know, the athletes I grew up watching. I think the people who got me to care about sports are some of the most um, inspirational in my life. Um, I grew up watching the U.S. Women's National Team in soccer and uh, the 99ers are, you know, some of my favorite athletes of all time. Uh, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Brianna Scurry, um, Brandy Chastain. Uh, so, I, you know, and then on the tennis side of Venus and Serena Williams, I also grew up, you know, loving to watch. And I think that's what really got me to where I am today is like cultivating that love of sports first. And then, you know, once you love something, you can really start to see it in a more critical way too. And, you know, 
not poke holes in it, but just like see it in a more nuanced light. And because you love something, try to point out the flaws in the systems that you're seeing in play. Well, that's, that's, that's a great answer. It's an interesting answer. And I, I, I'll, I would tell you that's probably relatable for a lot of people, um, including myself, in terms of, well, you obviously took it to a different level, right? Some people have that inspiration of, of you know, a, a great athlete or a team or whatever it may be. But you took mm -hmm. it to the level, you, you, you've made a, you know, you have a living, you know, you have a living doing this and, and you know, it became a passion. Well, it, it was great having you here today. Um, I'm a new fan of your work and I'll be... Um, you know, I'll be reading, you know, everything you write now. Um, you know, I, I, I plan to jump on your website as well. Um, best of luck, um, with your book. I can't wait to get a copy of it, um, in, um, in March. And I hope everybody, as I said earlier, I hope everybody, uh, does a pre-order. I think it's, um, you know, it's pioneering work and it's, uh, extremely important in our world right now, especially if you're a, a sports and a fan of athletes, um, and you've, you're doing what you're doing, what we're trying to do. And that's, uh, raise awareness and destigmatize things in mental health. Um, thanks for your work. I, I, I look forward to reading more. Um, uh, finally, I'd like to thank our followers. Um, we appreciate you watching and listening. Uh, we're working hard towards creating greater awareness and, uh, eliminating the stigma. Um, uh, be well, everybody. I'm Walt Norley and this is Athletes on Balance. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Athletes on Balance. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please follow us on your preferred podcast app to catch our next episode. Join our community by sharing with an athlete, mental health care provider, or coach in your circle.